0: section one of sir gawain and the green knight this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. a recording by tony addison Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, Author Unknown, Translated by Jesse Weston, Section 1. After the siege and the assault of Troy, When that burg was destroyed and burnt to ashes, And the traitor tried for his treason, The noble Aeneas and his kin, sailed forth to become princes and patrons of well-nigh all the western isles thus romulus built rome and gave to the city his own name which it bears even to this day and tisius turned him to tuscany and langobard raised him up dwellings in lombardy And Felix Brutus sailed far over the French flood, And founded the kingdom of Britain, Wherein have been war and waste and wonder And bliss and bale, oft times since. And in that kingdom of Britain Have been wrought more gallant deeds than in any other, But of all British kings, Arthur was the most valiant, as I have heard tell. Therefore will I set forth a wondrous adventure that fell out in his time. And if you will listen to me but for a little while, I will tell it even as it stands in story, stiff and strong, Fixed in the letter, as it hath long been known in the land. King Arthur lay at Camelot upon a Christmas-tide, with many a gallant lord and lovely lady and all the noble brotherhood of the round table there they held rich revels with gay talk and jest one while they would ride forth to joust and tourney and again back to the court to make carols for there was the feast holden fifteen days with all the mirth that men could devise, song and glee, glorious to hear in the daytime and dancing at night. Halls and chambers were crowded with noble guests, the bravest of knights and the loveliest of ladies, and Arthur himself was the comeliest king that ever held a court. For all this fair folk were in their youth the fairest and most fortunate under heaven, and the king himself of such fame, that it were hard now to name so valiant a hero. Now the new year had but newly come in, and on that day a double portion was served on the high table to all the noble guests, and thither came the king with all his knights when the service in the chapel had been sung to an end. And they greeted each other for the new year, and gave rich gifts the one to the other, and they that received them were not wroth, that may ye well believe. And the maidens laughed and made mirth, till it was time to get them to meet. Then they washed, and sat them down to the feast in fitting rank and order, And Guinevere the queen, gaily clad, Sat on the high dais. Silken was her seat, With a fair canopy over her head, Of rich tapestries of tars, Embroidered and studded with costly gems. Fair she was to look upon With her shining grey eyes, A fairer woman might no man boast himself Of having seen. But Arthur would not eat Till all were served, So full of joy and gladness was he even as a child, He liked not either to lie long or to sit long at meat, So worked upon him his young blood and his wild brain. And another custom he had also that came of his nobility, That he would never eat upon an high day Till he had been advised of some knightly deed, Or some strange and marvellous tale Of his ancestors, or of arms, Or of other ventures, Or till some stranger knight Should seek of him, Leave to joust with one of the round table, That they might set their lives in jeopardy, One against another, As fortune might favour them. Such was the king's custom When he sat in hall at each high feast, with his noble knights therefore on that new year tide he abode fairer face on the throne and made much mirth withal thus the king sat before the high tables and spake of many things and there good sir gawaine was seated by guinevere the queen and on her other side sat agaravaine la dure main both were the king's sisters sons and full gallant knights and at the end of the table was bishop Bordowin and iwaine king king son sat at the other side alone these were worthily served on the dais and at the lower tables sat many valiant knights Then they bare the first course With the blast of trumpets And waving of banners, With the sound of drums and pipes Of song and lute, That many a heart Was uplifted at the melody. Many were the dainties, And rare the meats, So great was the plenty, They might scarce find room On the board to set on the dishes. Each helped himself As he liked best, and to each two were twelve dishes, with great plenty of beer and wine. Now I will say no more of the service, but that ye may know there was no lack, for there drew near a venture that the folk might well have left their labour to gaze upon. As the sound of the music ceased, and the first course had been fitly served, there came in at the hall-door one terrible to behold of stature greater than any on earth from neck to loin so strong and thickly made and with limbs so long and so great that he seemed even as a giant and yet he was but a man only the mightiest that might mount a steed broad of chest and shoulders and slender of waist, and all his features of like fashion, but men marvelled much at his colour, for he rode even as a knight, yet was green all over. For he was clad all in green, with a straight coat and a mantle above, all decked and lined with fur, was the cloth And the hood that was thrown back from his locks, And lay on his shoulders. Hose had he of the same green, And spurs of bright gold, With silken fastenings richly worked, And all his vesture was verily green. Around his waist and his saddle Were bands with fair stones set upon silken work, twere too long to tell of all the trifles that were embroidered thereon birds and insects in gay gauds of green and gold all the trappings of his steed were of metal of like enamel even the stirrups that he stood in stained of the same and stirrups and saddle-bow alike gleamed and shone with green stones even the steed on which he rode was of the same hue a green horse great and strong and hard to hold with broidered bridle meet for the rider the knight was thus gaily dressed in green his hair falling around his shoulders On his breast hung a beard as thick and green as a bush, and the beard and the hair of his head were clipped all round above his elbows. The lower part of his sleeves were fastened with clasps in the same wise as a king's mantle. The horse's mane was crisp and plaited with many a knot, Folded in with gold thread, About the fair green. Here a twist of the hair, Here another of gold. The tail was twined in like manner, And both were bound about, With a band of bright green, Set with many a precious stone. Then they were tied aloft In a cunning knot, Whereon rang many bells Of burnished gold. Such a steed might no other ride, nor had such ever been looked upon in that hall ere that time. And all who saw that knight spake and said that a man might scarce abide his stroke. The knight bore no helm nor hauberk, neither gorget nor breastplate, neither shaft nor buckler to smite nor to shield but in one hand he had a holly bough that is greenest when the groves are bare and in his other an axe huge and uncomely a cruel weapon in fashion if one would picture it the head was an ell yard long the metal all of green steel and gold the blade burnished bright with a broad edge, as well sharpened to shear as a sharp razor. The steel was set into a strong staff or bound round with iron even to the end and engraved with green in cunning work. A lace was twined about it that looped at the head and all adown the handle. It was clasped with tassels, on buttons of bright green, richly broidered. The knight rideth through the entrance of the hall, driving straight to the high dais, and greeted no man, but looked ever upwards, and the first words he spake were, Where is the ruler of this folk? I would gladly look upon that hero, and have speech with him he cast his eyes on the knights, and mustered them up and down, striving ever to see who of them was of most renown. Then was their great gazing to behold that chief, for each man marvelled what it might mean that a knight and his steed should have even such a hue as the green grass, and that seemed even greener. In green enamel on bright gold. All looked on him as he stood, and drew near unto him wondering greatly what he might be, for many marvels had they seen, but none such as this, and phantasm and fairy did the folk deem it. Therefore were the gallant knights slow to answer, and gazed astounded, and sat stone still in a deep silence through that goodly hall as if a slumber were fallen upon them i deem it was not all for doubt but some for courtesy that they might give ear unto his errand then arthur beheld this adventurer before his high dais and nightly he greeted him for fearful was he never sir he said thou art welcome to this place lord of this hall am i and men call me arthur light thee down and tarry awhile. and what thy will is that shall we learn after nay quoth the stranger so help me he that sitteth on high "'Twas not mine errand to tarry any while in this dwelling, but the praise of this thy folk and thy city is lifted up on high, and thy warriors are holden for the best, and the most valiant of those who ride mail-clad to the fight. The wisest and the worthiest of this world are they, and well-proven in all knightly sports and here as i have heard tell is fairest courtesy therefore have i come hither as at this time ye may be sure by the branch that i bear here that i come in peace seeking no strife for had i will to journey in warlike guise i have at home both hauberk and helm, shield and shining spear, and other weapons to mine hand. But since I seek no war, my raiment is that of peace. But if thou be as bold as all men tell, thou wilt freely grant me the boon I ask. And Arthur answered, Sir Knight, If thou cravest battle here, thou shalt not fail for lack of a foe. And the knight answered, Nay, I ask no fight. In faith, here on the benches are but beardless children. Were I clad in armour on my steed, there is no man here might match me. Therefore I ask in this court, but a Christmas jest for that it is yuletide and new year, and there are here many fain for sport. If any one in this hall holds himself so hardy, so bold both of blood and brain, as to dare strike me one stroke for another, I will give him as a gift this axe, which is heavy enough in sooth to handle as he may list, and I will abide the first blow, unarmed as I sit. If any knight be so bold as to prove my words, let him come swiftly to me here, and take this weapon. I quit claim to it, he may keep it as his own, and I will abide his stroke firm on the floor. Then shalt thou give me the right to deal him another the respite of a year and a day shall he have now haste and let me see whether any here dare say aught now if the knights had been astounded at the first yet stiller were they all high and low when they had heard his words the knight on his steed straightened himself in the saddle and rolled his eyes fiercely round the hall red they gleamed under his green and bushy brows he frowned and twisted his beard waiting to see who should rise and when none answered he cried aloud in mockery what is this arthur's hall and these the knights whose renown hath run through many realms where are now your pride and your conquests your wrath and anger and mighty words now are the praise and the renown of the round table overthrown by one man's speech since all keep silence for dread ere they have seen a blow with that he laughed so loudly that the blood rushed to the king's fair face for very shame he waxed wrath as did all his knights and sprang to his feet and drew near to the stranger and said now by heaven foolish is thy asking and thy folly shall find its fitting answer i know no man aghast at thy great words give me here thine axe and i shall grant thee the boon thou hast asked Likely he sprang to him and caught at his hand and the knight fierce of aspect lighted down from his charger then arthur took the axe and gripped the haft and swung it round ready to strike and the knight stood before him taller by the head than any in the hall he stood and stroked his beard and drew down his coat no more dismayed for the king's threats than if one had brought him a drink of wine Then Gawain, who sat by the queen, leaned forward to the king, and spake. I beseech ye, my lord, let this venture be mine. Would ye but bid me rise from this seat, And stand by your side, So that my liege lady thought it not ill, Then would I come to your council Before this goodly court, For I think it not seemly, when such challenges be made in your hall, That ye yourself should undertake it. While there are many bold knights who sit beside ye, None are there, methinks, of readier will under heaven, Or more valiant in open field. I am the weakest, I wot, and the feeblest of wit, and it will be the less loss of my life if ye seek sooth for save that ye are mine uncle nought is there in me to praise no virtue is there in my body save your blood and since this challenge is such folly that it beseems ye not to take it and i have asked it from ye first let it fall to me and if I bear myself ungallantly, then let all this court blame me. Then they all spake with one voice, that the king should leave this venture, and grant it to Gawain. Then Arthur commanded the knight to rise, and he rose up quickly, and knelt down before the king, and caught hold of the weapon and the king loosed his hold of it, and lifted up his hand, and gave him his blessing, and bade him be strong, both of heart and hand. Keep thee well, nephew, quoth Arthur, that thou give him but the one blow, and if thou readest him rightly, I trow thou shalt well abide, The stroke he may give thee after. Gawain stepped to the stranger, Axe in hand, And he, never fearing, Awaited his coming. Then the green knight Spake to Sir Gawain, Make we our covenant, Ere we go further. First I ask thee, knight, what is thy name? Tell me truly, that I may know thee. In faith, quoth the good knight, Gawain am I, who give thee this buffet, Let what may come of it, and at this time twelve months, Will I take another at thine hand, with whatsoever weapon thou wilt, and none other then the other answered again sir gawain so may i thrive as i am fain to take this buffet at thine hand and he quoth further sir gawain it liketh me well that i shall take at thy fist that which i have asked here and thou hast readily and truly rehearsed all the covenant that i asked of the king save that thou shalt swear me by thy troth to seek me thyself wherever thou hopest that i may be found and win thee such reward as thou dealest me to-day before this folk where shall i seek thee quoth Gawain where is thy place by him that made me i wot never where thou dwellest nor know i thee knight thy court nor thy name but teach me truly all that pertaineth thereto and tell me thy name and i shall use all my wit to win my way thither and that i swear thee forsooth and by my sure troth that is enough in the new year it needs no more quoth the green knight to the gallant gawain if i tell thee truly when i have taken the blow and thou hast smitten me then will i teach thee of my house and home and mine own name then mayest thou ask thy road and keep covenant and if i waste no words then farest thou the better for thou canst dwell in thy land and seek no further but take now thy toll and let's see how thou strikest gladly will i quoth gawain handling his axe then the green knight swiftly made him ready he bowed down his head and laid his long locks on the crown that his bare neck might be seen gawain gripped his axe and raised it on high the left foot he set forward on the floor and let the blow fall lightly on the bare neck the sharp edge of the blade sundered the bones smote through the neck and clave it in two so that the edge of the steel bit on the ground and the fair head fell to the earth that many struck it with their feet as it rolled forth the blood spurted forth and glistened on the green raiment but the knight neither faltered nor fell he started forward with outstretched hand and caught the head and lifted it up then he turned to his steed and took hold of the bridle, set his foot in the stirrup, and mounted. His head he held by the hair in his hand. Then he seated himself in his saddle, as if naught ailed him, and he were not headless. He turned his steed about, the grim corpse bleeding freely the while, and they who looked upon him doubted them much, for the covenant. For he held up the head in his hand, and turned the face towards them that sat on the high dais, and it lifted up the eyelids, and looked upon them, and spake, as ye shall hear. Look, Gawain, that thou art ready to go as thou hast promised, and seek Lili till thou find me, even as thou hast sworn in this hall, in the hearing of these knights. Come, thou, I charge thee, to the Green Chapel, such a stroke as thou hast dealt, thou hast deserved, and it shall be promptly paid thee on New Year's morn. Many men know me as the Knight of the Green Chapel, and if thou askest, Thou shalt not fail to find me. Therefore it behoves thee to come, Or to yield thee as a recreant. With that he turned his bridle, And galloped out at the hall door, His head in his hands, So that the sparks flew From beneath his horse's hoofs. Whither he went none knew, No more than they wist whence he had come, And the king and Gawain, they gazed and laughed, for in sooth this had proved a greater marvel than any they had known aforetime. Though Arthur the king was astonished at his heart, yet he let no sign of it be seen, but spake in courteous wise to the fair queen. Dear lady, be not dismayed, such craft is well suited to Christmas-tide, when we seek jesting, laughter, and song, and fair carols of knights and ladies, but now I may well get me to meet, for I have seen a marvel I may not forget. Then he looked on Sir Gawain, and said gaily, Now, fair nephew, hang up thine axe, since it has hewn enough, and they hung it on the dossel above the dais, where all men might look on it for a marvel, and by its true token tell of the wonder." Then the twain sat down together, the king and the good knight, and men served them with a double portion, as was the share of the noblest, with all manner of meat and of minstrelsy, and they spent that day in gladness, but Sir Gawain must well bethink him of the heavy venture to which he had set his hand. End of section 1.